Welcome to another exciting episode of the Darren Batchelder Multifamily Real Estate Investing Show. Today, we are thrilled to have Ryan Chaw, a seasoned real estate investor and coach who, alongside his full-time job, has built an impressive real estate portfolio with a unique strategy that has allowed him to generate over $10,000 monthly. Ryan now guides new investors on their journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. But before we get started, we partner with other highly experienced operators to acquire and operate value-add multifamily properties in growth markets. If you are an accredited investor and would like to be considered for new investment opportunities, visit darrenbatchelder.com forward slash investor call and schedule your discovery call. This episode is sponsored by Cashflow Portal, real estate syndication software that accelerates capital raising. I'm both an LP and a GP in many multifamily deals. I've used many different software applications for the capital raising process, and I like Cashflow Portal the most. I'm so confident in the software and the Cashflow Portal team that I've become an investor in the company. If you are a syndicator looking for a software platform, then let the Cashflow Portal team know that you heard about them on Darren's podcast and you will automatically receive three months off an annual contract. You can find the company at cashflowportal.com. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Ryan Chaw. Ryan, appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks again for having me, Darren. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how we know each other. This is the first time that we're actually talking, but Ryan reached out. And I think he's got a very unique story because I, I typically bring on investors that have are, are focused on large-scale multifamily. And, you know, some people can go right there and some people, you know, they need to start in single family. And, and um, so he's bringing a story that is going to hit on that topic. So Ryan, to start out with, uh, can you share with the listeners how many properties, how many units you're invested in? Yeah, so I have 15 properties uh, between single family homes, a few duplexes, and then I have a triplex as well. Uh, but I have about 70 tenants. And the reason why is because I rent by the bedroom uh, to basically college students. And I started out near my alma mater college and just kept buying. I bought one a year. And then the last Two years ago or so, I sold my first one, and then I purchased about uh, nine properties from the sale of that first one. Fantastic. So in, you know, I'm, I'm more focused on large-scale multifamily, but in the, you know, single-family, duplex, threeplex, fourplex kind of world, you know, I, I read a lot about this 1% rule. So, you know, one, can you share the, what the 1% rule is? And then two, you know, in today's market with real estate prices and you're in California, it's next to impossible to hit the 1% rule. So can you share why there's still value even if you can't do that? 
Yeah, so the reason I use the rent by the room method is it basically doubles or triples your typical rental income. Let's say I rent each room out by like $600 or $700. If I have six bedrooms, that means I could be making about $3,600 to $4,200. And these are on single family homes. So I have a couple out of state where like the very first one I purchased was $210,000. And I, I could use all my own money with it, right? That's the great advantage with this is all those 15 properties, I used my own money, essentially, I, you know, yeah, I don't have to borrow from other people um, in order to scale as, as fast as I, was as I was able to. So, you know, what's really great about it is you can be making like 2500 uh, to $3,500 in cash flow on a property that's like $200,000, which is uh, basically meeting the 2% rule um, right. if you take, which is, so you take your rental income, monthly rental income and divide that by your total property price. And that's, if it's 1% of the total property price, then you're meeting the 1% rule. In these cases, we're typically meeting the 2% rule because we're buying something for $200,000 and then uh, we're renting it out for 4,000. I'm renting it out for 4,000. So I've heard that, you know, I, I've, I've got some friends in, um, and one, his, his son is graduated from college and moving from the East Coast out to San Francisco. And he's doing just that. He's renting by the room in a single family house uh, because it's so expensive, you know, mm -hmm. for, for rent. So do you find that this is more prevalent in California and other high cost areas and and it hasn't really taken off in other areas? Or do you think that it's a model that works across the country? It definitely works in every state you're in. Um, I have uh, clients that I teach this method to in Florida, Georgia, uh, Washington, mm -hmm. North Carolina, uh, New Jersey, New York. Uh, basically, I can name most of the states out there. Uh, we, we are able to do it because... There's a lot of demand if you're near a top college town. So a lot of these students, they want to save money. And instead of paying $1,200 for on-campus housing, they could pay $600 to $700 off-campus housing. So it's half the price, but they also get a lot more privacy because they have their own private bedroom. They don't have to share with 20 other freshmen, the bathroom with 20 other freshmen. And it's also just as close to campus in, in many cases. So... Yeah. So what are some of the challenges with, with doing this? Yeah, a lot of people are worried about that it's going to be a party house or a frat house. I think that's the biggest worry about it. There's a couple of ways you can actually prevent that from occurring. And a lot of it is just investing in the right college. I usually invest near top college towns uh, on the U.S. News top colleges list. So a lot of them are maybe like Ivy League type colleges, not necessarily in the Ivy League college list, but they are top in terms of having a lot of professional degrees offered, like pharmacy, medic medicine, nursing, uh, MBA, engineering. Um, so basically, we invest in colleges where most of our students are going to be graduate students and professional school, because a lot of these colleges, you have to realize they provide housing for on uh, for undergrads, but they usually don't provide housing for graduate students. They just don't offer it. So usually a lot of these colleges will have like 3,000, 5,000 grad students, and they just have no choice but to stay off campus. 
because on-campus just doesn't offer housing for them. So that's where the niche kind of comes in, and that's why it's so powerful. We get so much demand for our properties, we usually fill them within a month or so, a month or a month and a half or two, yeah. So now I'm a dad who's had, who's, my son graduated from college at Texas A&M, my daughter's in college now. Um, In both instances, Myself as a parent had to guarantee the lease. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Do you have do you structure it that way as well? That you're you're renting by the room, but the parent is also on the lease. Yes, correct. So it's usually gonna be the parent who is paying their rent for their child, unless uh, the student has student loans. Uh, financial aid. So one thing I always do is ask for proof of income. I have to ensure either that the parents, they're covered by their parents, or if not, that they have some sort of financial aid, scholarship, stipend, or student loan that they can use to pay for it. And a lot of times when the parent is supporting their child, I will get a co-signer for that, for sure. Gotcha. What about the thought that, hey, I'm going to get, say it's a five bedroom, I'm going to have five different people in there and they're not going to get along. That sometimes happens. Um, it, it does occur. So there could be some drama. I would say out of the 70 tenants that I do have, I might get one or two of them a year that just don't get along. And a lot of times when that occurs, it's really not, you have to realize it's not your fault. You're not actually at the house, right? You're, right. It's, it's really just a difference in personality. So what I would say to the tenant is, hey, you got to have a face-to-face conversation with them. Um, tell them why you're upset. Um, ask them, you know, to come up with a plan together and then implement that plan for the next one to two weeks. And if after those two weeks that you're still having trouble, then I can go ahead and maybe discuss with the other tenant what's going on. But with that being said, I don't have direct control over somebody else's behavior. So, you know, we try our best. Uh, and that's kind of empowering them to take responsibility for the situation and do the adult thing and you know be a little bit independent and figure out a solution with the other tenant now if that doesn't work you can always go to the parent and say hey we've had some complaints about your you know your child um and this is what was going on gotcha gotcha um so you self-manage all the all the properties yourself I used to up until I would say five or six properties I pretty much self-managed Um, I had all these Excel spreadsheets and everything because, you know, I had like 35 or 40 tenants by then. And then uh, once I scaled up, I started hiring on some virtual assistants. So I have a bookkeeper. He's in the Philippines. Um, I have two executive assistants uh, that basically coordinate any uh, contract work that needs to be done, um, tenant move-ins, things like that. Um, But yeah, most of it is just managed remotely. A lot of times uh, I'll have a head tenant and the head tenant will, they might get a perk. Maybe they get some AirPods or something, right, as a thank you. And they coordinate all of the tours that I do. They are all the tours that we need done. They coordinate any, I don't know if you have to change a light bulb. If somebody is requesting something, they'll they'll let us know, uh, whatnot. Uh, But basically I built the system of uh, virtual assistants and tenants that can basically manage the whole thing myself without having a formal property management company. So what about the financing? Do, do the, where do you get the financing and do they, 
look at, you know, the rent by the room and all of the income that comes in as, as qualifying, or do they look at, you know, a, a, what a typical house would rent for? Yeah, the second option. I would say there are two main types of financing for this. There's technically a third option, which is the commercial loan option, but I will focus on the first two, which is the conventional investment loan, uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. And then the second one is the DSCR loan. So the conventional loan, pretty basic, right? It's based off of your income, your debt to income ratio. What's great about this method is because you have more and more cash flow. My DTI actually went lower and lower throughout the years. I think it started around 40%. Um, my lender told me it's around 20 something percent right now, just because you know all that income that you're making in, you're actually able to use 75% to 100% of that income. So if it shows on your tax returns, there's a good chance you can use like 100% of it. Um, if it's just the first couple months, a lot of times they'll take 75% of it and use that to qualify. So let's say you're yeah, making, I don't know, 4,000 a month, they'll take 75% of that because it's showing in your bank statements and use that towards the income part. And then um, if you want, I can talk about the DSCR well, as well. I do, um, <laughs> but on that, I would imagine that the challenge is you, you're now you've been doing it for a few years. So you have the yeah. tax returns and you have the proof, but when you're doing your first deal or your second deal, you don't have that history. So yeah. that's, you know, you're trying to get qualified for a loan and you mm -hmm. don't have that history. How do, you know, how does that play out? Yeah. So for that, you really have to have a good management of your personal finances, right? It's all about how much income you're taking in from your job and how much you're spending on like a mortgage, whatnot. A lot of times I recommend to people, why don't you rent a room yourself for $600 a month? That way your debt is really, really low. And then so to qualify, usually you need about 50%, meaning your income has to be uh, twice as much as your debt. So let's say you're renting out for 600 a month and you know your income is, I don't know, twice that 1200 or maybe it's more like 2500 pre-tax, right? So um, in that case, you, sh you should be able to qualify because your debt is very, very low. So that's that's the best way to qualify. I live with my parents um, because I get along with my family uh, very well. We go solve escape rooms together. We go to the movies together. So, you know, I love hanging out with my parents and I have that good relationship, luckily. So I actually live with my family uh, rent free for the first few years or so. It was just a smart thing to do at the time, yeah, especially in California, right? Um, right? Eventually, I moved out, did a house hack. Um, and so this is a house hack right now. I actually have four other people living with me, um, and they're basically paying the mortgage and then some. My mortgage is $2,300 a month, and my rental income from this house is $3,750 a month. That's am it's amazing. So how do, you, how, how do you get over the fear of getting started? I mean, people, there's a lot of people that are like, well, that's a no brainer, man. I'm, I want to have a house and get paid $1,500 and have a free room. But yeah, pulling the trigger sometimes can be scary. Oh yeah. That for first sure. one. Yeah, for sure. I would say, you know, if you're really just at the beginning, you might want to just do something like a house hack to get your feet wet. That way you kind of get an idea of what could happen on the house. Like, 
I've had to replace roofs. I had to replace HVACs. On my first house, I had a tenant call me and said, there's sewage coming out of the kitchen sink and it's all over the kitchen floor and backed up in the showers too. So the bathrooms are starting to get flooded with sewage. So it was, it was a big mess, right? Um, but I learned from that, right? I, I, I said, you know what, I'm not gonna let this stop me. I'm gonna obviously call up the plumbers and the sanitation crew and all of that. It cost me a lot of money, like over $9,000 just to uh, put in the new pipe, the new sewage pipe, um, clean up the mess, put in a sump pump um, in the basement because water got down there as well. And so, um, you know, I learned a lot from it. I think you kind of have to make some mistakes. You either make mistakes or you hire somebody to help you avoid those uh, big errors. And one of the you know things I could have done on my first one was ordered a sewage lateral line inspection during the inspection phases, and I would have found that the pipe was pipe was broken and that there are roots sticking into the pipe itself. So I think you just have to get started. I know things are uh, scary at first. It's great to always hire a mentor or somebody who's done it that can kind of show you the ropes and give you that guidance. Uh, but other than that, yeah, you just have to do it. It's kind of like Nike's logo, right? Just do it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's true. It. There's, a, there's a lot of people that, that, you know, have a hard time getting over that hump. What about yeah. um, the new agency financing on duplexes, threeplexes, and fourplexes uh, where owner-occupied? So you can have, you know, 95% financing, Right. And live in one side and, you know, rent out the other. You, yeah, I think, think that's that? great because it's a, a little bit more of a risk free way to do this, uh, especially if you do like, you know, multiple units, you can live in one unit and then rent out the others. So you have your privacy, especially like, let's say you have a spouse or significant other. They probably want that privacy. Right. Um, to maybe raise a family. So it's a really great idea because you can live in one unit, get that 5% down, and then the other units you can rent out <clears throat> to multiple uh, people if you wanted to. And I really like this model because even if you have like two or three people renting out and then the rest of the rooms are vacant, you still cover your mortgage. So, you know, if anything, you're you're paying some money into the house. You're not, you're not ever really losing money, especially if you go about it in a smart manner like this. Right. So, you know, people have said that 90% of millionaires are created through real estate. And I'm sure that you've seen, so you've seen cash flow and you've also seen appreciation. Right. Um, I've also heard investors talk about how they're rich from a net worth perspective, but they're cash poor because they've got so right. much, you know, money in different deals. But, you know, I grew up, I didn't get into real estate until about five years ago. And I grew up in the world. And I think a lot of people grew up in the world, like just put 10, 20% away and 401k and it's going to grow. And, you know, the appreciation on some of these investment properties, it's, it's hard to save your way to, to that wealth. Yeah. Definitely. So, so what's your take on that? I love I love using leverage. Um, obviously, use more leverage at the beginning. And then later on, you might want to pay some off just so that you're safe and you're not, you know, beholden to this mortgage payment and having vacancies and not not being able to cover it. But at the very beginning, I highly recommend using leverage because you get more bang for your buck. Let's say your appreciation in your 
your state is about 3% or in your city is about 3% per year. If you put a 20% down, you're actually getting a 15% return if you do the math. Let's say we buy something for, I don't know, $100,000. It goes up 3%. That means it's, it goes up 3,000 a year, but 20% down on 100,000 is 20,000. So if you divide 3,000 by 20,000, you actually get 15% return. And that's because you're, you, it's a one to five ratio. You're, you know, you're leveraging at a one to five ratio, essentially. So you know, let's say your property goes up 20% in a couple years. Well, you just doubled your money because you put a 20% down. Yeah, and so in California, our appreciation is around 7% or so. So you double your money every three years if you buy California property, just, wow. just from the appreciation. We're not th talking about equity pay down, which is you're paying down your loan every month or your tenants are, um, cash flow and all the tax benefits that you yeah, get. Yeah, so the tax benefits also, I mean, you, when you talk about that 15% return, you know, if you were to get a 15% in interest, You'd right. be paying taxes on that. Yeah. And so, you know, it'd be 15% less the taxes that you pay. But with real estate, there's so many tax advantages that typically the depreciation is going to, to cover any kind of, you know, income that was generated by the property. So it's pretty yeah. much tax-free. Um, yeah. Which, and that's why it's smart to use leverage because you get all those depreciations, uh, interest deductions, all that. Yeah. Abs absolutely. Um so what about with, you know, um, you know, big discussion in today's market is, okay, we've got higher interest rates. Yeah, they're supposed mm -hmm. to come down in 2024, um, but we've got higher interest rates. Should I wait on the sidelines and buy once interest rates come down or should I buy now and then refinance, you know, as, as interest rates come down? Yeah, the that? second one for sure. This is definitely a question on a lot of people's minds. Um, yes, it's a good time to get a discount, a really good discount, because in a market where you have a low interest rate and high home values, you can only get you can only get one world. You can get low interest rates. But in this fire environment where you have high interest rates, you can now negotiate down the cost of the house. And then in a few years from now, when interest rates drop, and they always do because it's, it's cyclical in nature, right? It will eventually come down. Um, when it does come down, you can now refinance it so you have the best of both worlds where you got a discount on the purchase price of the property and you get that lower interest rate. Versus back in 2021, you could only get one. You can get the low interest rate, but you have to pay like $100,000 over asking on the property, right? Right, right. Yep, that's, that's the... Uh, but. Prices haven't really come down. That's the that's the part that pe people are yeah. having a hard time on. Is you, you would have thought that as rates have gone up, you know, the prices would come down, but people didn't want to sell because they had, you know, very very low interest rates. So there's mm -hmm. there's not much supply on the market. Um, so the thought is is that as interest rates come down, prices will go up and competition will go up. Um, mm -hmm. That for sure. You know, that's the, that's the thought. Now, it, it may not happen that way. Um, you may end up see, seeing more, more inventory come on and, you know, maybe there's more supply. But the thought is that, you know, it's going to become more competitive and prices will go up as interest rates go up, uh, come down, I mean. so Yeah, the thing is, you should never, in real estate, I don't believe in waiting and the buying. 
I think you should buy pretty much every year. That's what I did. I, I purchased one property every year. However, I can do it. I, I basically put as much money as I could into uh, the real estate and I reinvested the cash flow. And so if you're at zero houses, the no matter what state of the economy, really, you want to just get in as soon as possible because prices always go back up. You know, it, it doesn't make sense to try to time the market. What really matters is the cash. If you're making enough cash flow to support that investment, right? Because now you can reinvest that and you can buy your second one quicker and then the third one quicker, et cetera, right? You just have to get in the game. Right. And, you know, your program, like your focus, your strategy of, of renting by the bedroom is, is one that actually does produce the cash flow where, where a lot of people are saying, yeah. The same thing as you are. They're saying, don't delay. You got to buy. Um, but if you go and try to buy a duplex and, you know, the, the rent off those two units may not produce any positive cash flow. You know, when you, yeah. when you take into consideration the, the mortgage with, with higher interest rates, property taxes, insurance, you may not have positive cash flow. So it's, it makes it difficult but this mm -hmm. is a way to do it in this type of market, which is. Yes, exactly. And a lot of times what I do is I look for houses that uh, have a slightly higher square footage. Like, let's say it has 1800 square foot or more. That means I could get six bedrooms in there. There's a rule I use. I divide the square footage by 300 and that tells me how many bedrooms I can have. So if I divide like 1500 by 300, that means I have five bedrooms. And let's say, you know, let's say I can get it to six bedrooms and each rents out for 600. Then my minimum is 3,600 a month if I rent out the bedrooms, rent out all six bedrooms. Um, you know, even if you get five of them rented out, you're still making 3,000 a month. In a lot of cases, even at today's interest rates, you know, let's say you're paying 1,500 on a mortgage to uh, 2,000 a month. You know, if you're making 3,600 a month from the house, you're, you're going to have a significant cash flow regardless. Uh, absolutely. So where do you get the tenants renting by the room? Where, where do you advertise? Where do you, where do you draw those tenants from? Yeah, there's, there's the big, I call them the big four. Um, I use Zillow.com. I use something called Avail. And there's a couple other ones out there that are kind of like Avail, but Avail, A-V-A-I-L, basically shoots it out to multiple different sites like Realtor.com. It includes Apartments.com, which is probably where we get a majority of the leads um, or a good majority of the leads. Um, and there's like 20 other sites as well. So Avail is really good. Another one is Uloop, U-L-O-O-P. Um, that's specifically for university students. And then there's Facebook groups. Facebook groups are really great because there are university specific groups. There's university housing groups. Um, and so you can post it there in Facebook marketplace and do you'll you get pick one get or do you put them in all of them? I just have my VAs blast all of them. Okay. Um, because you know, it doesn't, it only takes maybe 10 minutes to put up an ad, right? And then it's up to you if you want to respond to all the leads or not. If you find that one source is giving you a lot more leads, then you just focus on that one source. Don't, don't, um, do you have to pay to? to no, it's all free. It's all Avail, free. Zillow, Facebook. They're all free, except for, sorry, except for Uloop. Uloop is the one you do have to pay $50 a month. The rest are all technically free. If you wanted to boost your post, then yeah, you could pay extra for that, but it's not really necessary. 
Oh, that's that's huge. Um, so how do they make money? That they how is like Avail making money? There's ways. So they also have property management software. So like you can do leases through them. You can do payment like rent payments through them. And then I think they take a cut of all that. If you so let's talk that. about that. The leases. Where do you where do you get the lease for these? Yeah. These so I honestly, when I started. Like I was pretty scrappy and this is fine when you're starting, right? Because uh, think about your um, tenant. Like if you're going to have a lot, lot of liability from that tenant for students, I don't really, you know, the chances that they're going to stop paying their rent uh, because, you know, the parents are paying, right? The, the chances that they're going to wreck the property or something like this, it's actually a lot lower um, than the normal tenants, let's say that like a normal family or something like that, because a lot of these students are in school most of the time. They're in classes, they're studying, they're at the library. They're mainly coming home just to shower and sleep. Right. Um, so the maintenance has actually been not not too high for a lot of the properties. Um, the other thing is, yeah, you don't have to worry about getting unpaid rent. So I basically used a lease kit that I got from Amazon. Um, if you want, I could put the link. But or, or you guys can, you know, let me know that you're interested in it. Uh, but yeah, I just started out with that. And then eventually I had a lawyer draft a formal lease agreement that covered all the boxes for that city per for each city specifically. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so what about the turnover? Um, talk about that with student housing. It's different than if you buy an apartment complex, you've got you know, tenants that are moving out every month and then you've got maintenance people that are, you know, fixing up the, the units and getting them ready for, um, you know, being released and reshowed. Um, okay. But with, you know, student housing, everybody's going to turn at the beginning of the year. So how, yeah. did, how does that work out mm -hmm. for you? So some students will actually stay two or three years. I actually get a lot of residents and fellows as well, medical residents and medical fellows, because I, I try to buy near a top college and also near one of the uh, top hospitals as well. So those guys usually stay a while. And grad students in general, I would say, they usually go year round, including uh, during the summer. So they might take a month off of summer and a month off in winter break. But a lot of times they are year round, especially if they're in like pharmacy school, medical school, dental school. Right. However, if you do have somebody who's only staying fall and spring semester, basically from August until May, what you can do is you always I always do a one year lease. I always tell them there's a lot of demand for our properties, which is true. Right. I'm not lying to them. Um, so we do prioritize like one year leases and if you can't sign a one-year lease, we're going to go with somebody else. So what I say is during the summertime, if you're, you know, you're not there, um, feel free to use it for a friend or whatever, or sublet it. And a lot of times they have friends that take summer school classes that they can sublet it to. And so that hasn't been much of an issue at all. In fact, I can even help them find somebody if they're really struggling with finding somebody. That's fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. I think that this is a great program for somebody to, to, to get over the fact that real estate prices are high, interest rates are high, but they want to oh, get yeah. into real estate. They want, they know that they want positive cash flow, but they can't seem to find, a, I mean, that's, that's the big thing that I hear over and over again. I can't seem to find a property that right. pencils, you know, right. so, so here's a way to do it. Um, yeah, so, it's great. It's a great tenant base. Um, 
great affordability for a lot of people. I think co-living is kind of like a way to really help control some of the housing, the outrageous rents and housing that's been going on. Um, so I, I think it's an all around amazing model. And plus, if you just want to diversify your portfolio and just, you know, rent to high end tenants, I think this is it. Awesome. Awesome. Definitely. Hey, so if, if somebody, I mean, wants to, to learn about this, you've gotten into the, you started out by just purchasing these for yourself, but now you help other people. Talk yeah, about what right. you do to help other people and, and how, how can somebody reach out to you and get to know you better and know your program better? Yeah. So basically I have a six month mentorship program where I walk everyone through the uh, first, the market demand. Like we'll look at several different markets where you're located. It could be in whatever state you're in, or if you want to invest out of state, we can do that as well. Uh, but we first start with like, okay, how much rent can I actually be getting? Uh, what is, what is supported by the current market rent for a bedroom? Um, is there demand for uh, students? Like are the apartments in the area, do they have higher vacancy rates? Are they, you know, basically fully occupied? We're going to do some of that market research at first. And then we'll go through the deal analysis. We'll look at like the top three deals and then go through what are the pros and cons? How do we run the numbers here for student housing? How many bedrooms can we actually put into this house so that we can maximize our uh, rental income and therefore our cash flow? How can we renovate this in a cost-efficient manner, then uh, put in place marketing and sales systems and management systems so that you aren't, uh, basically you're removing yourself from the process as much as possible and having either a team do it for you or having systems do it for you. There's a lot of software that we can use to put in place to make this all automated for yourself. Um, and so, yeah, that's a six month program and we work one-on-one. That's awesome. Um, so how, you know, do you have a website that people should go to or like, how do people get to know you better? Yeah. So to best contact me, you can go to www.newbierealestateinvesting.com slash guide. That's www.newbierealestateinvesting.com slash guide. And in there, you just put in your email. It'll send you an automated uh, free PDF on a lot of the strategies that I went through that I found to work very well. Uh, a lot of updates, a lot of mistakes I made. And then if you click reply to that email, it goes straight into my inbox. So I'll be able to contact you that way. That's huge. I think for somebody new that's looking to get their, their first deal, you know, some people are reluctant to to hire a mentor or a coach. Um, and yeah, I think it's extremely powerful because like you said, you had that, that one property that, you know, blew up, you know, something blew up on you and yeah. that taught you a lesson to scope the, the, the sewer lines, you know? Exactly. And I remember when I was getting into large scale multifamily, I'm, I'm not an engineer and I was, I was like, well, you know, if I look at this property and it's a $10 million property, how am I going to, how do I know if it's structurally okay? And they're like, don't worry about it. Just hire this guy. You know, we yeah. all hire the same guy and he brings on all the experts. And I'm like, yeah. well, that's a quick fix. But just that one conversation, you know, was, was helped out. So, um, Ryan, I really appreciate oh, yeah. you, you coming on the show. I, I do think that this co-living, whether it's student housing or whether it's just co-living without student housing is going to be a trend going forward because 
um, both rental housing and purchasing has gotten so expensive. So oh, yeah. uh, people need a way to to try to manage uh, their expenses better. So again, appreciate you coming on. Listeners, I hope they enjoyed that one. Until next week, signing off. Thank you, Darren. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 